everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Supply Chain Podcast. Today we're joined by Jaiselina Peralta, the Global Vice President for Supply Chain and Procurement for Troy Corporation. She discusses with us the challenges for regulatory supply chain, what it takes to be a leader in a time of disruption, as well as professional partnerships. Enjoy! Sure, so I'm Jocelyna Peralta. I'm actually based in the United States. I'm the Global Vice President of Supply Chain and Procurement for Troy Corporation at present time. I have uh, 20 plus years of experience, although I hope that I don't look like it, (laughs) (laughs) from consumer goods, uh, pharmaceuticals, and lubricant additives, oil and gas, and most recently now at Troy with biocides, so specialty chemicals, biocides industry. So, you know, a complete different, you know, um, cross industry experience when it pertains to supply chain, which is slightly different, right? Given all of the uh, complexities, right? With the regulatory compliance, you know, uh, registrations, right? So, which is different from uh, consumer goods to a pharma, to a, you know, base chemical, to really the lubricant oil and gas industry. So it's it's Mm. quite of an interesting, journey from that perspective (laughs) yeah definitely and that was something that I was really interested to delve into as well because you've got that experience which is quite unique on what challenges the COVID pandemic has thrown up for companies that deal with a heavily regulated supply chain yeah and it's and it's interesting because aside from the pandemic which is not an isolated event right so when we think about building flexibility in the supply network right so when you have a regulated space where you know a registration whether if it's you know with epa or bpr or reach typically takes is a long cycle so we're talking six to potentially you know 12 months uh, depending on what type of registration you're going for so it requires a lot of planning right so when you're trying to change your sources right for raw materials or packaging right so to be compliant not only with your internal quality requirements and specs you also have to work the whole registration process. So to pivot, to actually have flexibility, those are things that you have to plan way in advance, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking almost like a year in advance. So we have to really look at the model, right? And kind of map that out for the next three years or for the next, you know, five years in order to actually take proactive steps and say, okay, so when the trade war, for example, started with uh, between USA and China, Uh A lot of what we actually source, especially because of the changes that 20 years ago, conscious, you know, chemical-based industries made, where, you know, because of the environment, right, we wanted to really get products or production out of Europe, out of uh, United States, so from more developed countries to actually, you know, emerging regions. So that was actually a conscious decision 20 years ago, and most of those actives, they're no longer produced anywhere but China. Mm. So as a result with this, you know, trade war, when it started, it really had not only an impact for US-based, you know, production, but also if you think about it from the world, because yeah. the minute we actually have to pay more duties, then it has a ripple effect on the pricing and then we actually have to trade those goods. So when we started that, we said, oh boy, we really had, you know, a little bit of an issue here. What, how do you develop really um, another alternative source? We're talking about very nasty, you know, hazardous chemicals that, you know, in an, in a developed country is not going to be, you know, likely to be allowed to be produced. Even if you put, you know, still on the ground, if you actually try to staff up and you get the equipment, it's going to take years to actually build back that supply chain. So at the end of the day, we try, so India was, 
you know, the country that kind of took it on and trying to emerge. But there was a lot of also interesting, you know, emergency, uh, um, surgency, or I would say, you know, new opportunities emerging in, in Germany. So, and we were like, okay, so we actually need to be proactive and approach certain things. And we started to map that. And most of what we're seeing now started, you know, a year and a half ago. So over the next two years is when we're actually going to see some of the results for what you're actually starting because of the regulated process. But the other thing is that a lot of companies have worked into conversions, right? So when you have one chemistry backbone, then you have to look at another. And that also requires working with your customers to actually see what the value is from one product baseline to another one, right? So it's, it's, it's not something that you can do in isolation from your supply chain only. But going back to the point of the planning and why it's so important when you actually go into a regulated product, you have to really look at your supply portfolio in your networking planning holistically. Mm-hmm. Where do you have backups? Where do you actually have the regulatory implications? Can you make it in other countries in Asia? So for example, we have production in Thailand. So Thailand, you have more flexibility to get sources from all over the world. And then when you make the finished goods, then you register that product and then you can actually do distribution. So the, the, the registration is a bit more, less complicated, let's put it this mm-hmm. way. So, so there are different you know, things that you have to look you know, upstream, downstream and see. How do you really plan that? It's not something that you can do overnight. You, you cannot unfortunately react you know, quickly because otherwise by the time that you react, you lost that business, you lost mm-hmm. that market share. So in recognizing that, I think with this event, with the pandemic, you know, in regulated spaces, it becomes even more increasingly important to invest today in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Another paradigm shift, right? So we were living in the lean, low cost, you know, mm-hmm. low inventory scenario where, you know, everything that we actually had to do, it was very much into the cost containment arena. And right now, if we keep going down that path, that works well when you have a stable economy, when you have no issues, when you don't have, you know, geopolitical issues, when you don't have social issues, when you don't have potential, you know, health crisis issues. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's not the landscape that we have anymore. So companies have to make the conscious choice to look at the supply chain and say, okay, in order for us to be able to manage our business model, our operational model, in a flexible way, we have to put the investment today. And the investment today has to be in the form of analytical mm-hmm. capabilities, right? So digital you know, collaboration that not necessarily you have to do all the investment yourself. You can partner with you know, third-party suppliers, you can partner with you know, your logistics partners, right? So, so they, there's, there's not necessarily the investment has to be only by the company who's making it. So, but it's looking at the whole network and the dependencies that you have. And then making that conscious choice to invest because as we're keeping the workforce working remotely for healthy mm-hmm. safety reasons, mm-hmm. right? You have to really make sure that you have faster inside data that you can actually use to make faster decisions and that you can actually have almost like a dashboard of warnings, right? Yeah. So like you have alerts on your phone. We have to have alerts of you know, information that we have to pay attention to trigger into action. Mm-hmm. Proactively, not reactively, right? And, and that's where the investment, looking at you know, the cost that you know, putting into a, an artificial intelligence platform where you have better predictability in tools where you can actually dive into the insights quicker, mm-hmm. it's gonna really pay it off. And it's not something that I think 
yeah, it will require some convincing at the board and at the senior level, right? So we have to really present the value that this is going to deliver. But I think it's easily translated into, you know, securing market share and making sure that you're going to have growth and reliability of supply to your customers. And at the end of the day, actually costs less front, right, than when you have a disaster. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that necessarily answers the, uh, the question. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 now more paving for the future rather than just thinking short side of how much is going to cost me today. It's more if you put the investment today, you're actually going to have more revenue or security of revenue for mm. the next you know couple of years. Definitely, and I, I could not agree more with that. And more and more, I'm seeing a clear divide between the companies that adopted that technology and embraced it versus the companies who were a little bit slow off the mark and how they've kind of come back online since this, this pandemic. But in terms of, you know, from your experience, Joselina, I'm wondering what kind of challenges that throws up and how you combat when you are working with such a heavily uh, regulated product and you, you know, have a global crisis where globally suppliers are failing to produce what they, they should be. How do you react quickly to to get something in place to kind of cover what you've you've lost is it possible or do you need to have a greater inventory what would be the strategy from your side yeah no it's it's certainly a challenge but it's a, it's mm. a challenge that it can be overcome so for example is the synchronicity of the events so when the tariff um war started last year right so we started to look also to mitigate the impact and the cost. So mm -hmm. we did what most companies I think did at the same time, which it was a pre-buy of, okay. so we actually incurred into heavier inventory carrying costs. But at the end of the day, that also served to prepare, mm. not knowing, right, that we were going to be facing a pandemic. Yeah. So, so we actually went from not being as lean as we used to be, right? So I think typically, we were keeping between 30 days, you know, for domestic supply chain products and 60 days for international, um, you know, kind of a supply chain. So we went really beyond that. So we're talking now into the 90 days and 120 days mark. And that was purposely to actually try to secure and have a buffer for, especially for the products that only was coming from China. Mm -hmm. So we took those steps last year and planned that out. And at the same time, in parallel, we kind of work with other partners outside of China, including looking at investment opportunities here in the US, in Europe, yeah. and in India, um, to start the process, right? So in parallel, to kind of have registrations that we're working because the cycle of getting that approved is between six, six months to a year. Mm. So we kind of have already taken those steps, but with the conscious, and that was not a... That, that also requires some, you know, sales pitch, right? Because at the beginning, I remember when I was having the conversation, I was like, so you want us to increase, you know, working capital? And, and the simple answer was like, yes, <laughs> we, we actually need to. And, and it's funny because I remember back in January, when we were looking at all the different, you know, market intelligence reports, and even though mm -hmm. we were more optimistic that, you know, we were going to be able to overcome the, the crisis with the COVID-19, it's still early in January, it was projecting that it was going to be challenging, right? So for the first yeah. quarter, we never thought that it was going to be a complete lockdown. I cannot tell you that the crystal ball at that time actually helped to predict <laughs> that. 
Uh, but definitely we thought that it was going to be a hard year in terms of, you know, forecast budgets, things that we actually put in place that were not going to be realizable, right? So, and now after we, we were able to weather, I would say that in our business, we were able to weather um, the, the supply um, without any disruptions, quite honestly. Very, so nothing that I would not compare to a normal year. So we, we yeah. couldn't really say that we were impacted heavily by the pandemic. That, that, that was a very fortunate, but it was because of the steps that we took the previous year to actually look at the supply. And also we do have contingency of where do we manufacture what and where, right? So mm -hmm. then we can actually have, so when in Asia, we had a, you know, the first part of the crisis hitting us with the pandemic and people had to be in lockdown. We yeah. were actually producing, you know, here in the U.S., we will still be allowed in Europe to make sure that we will build an inventory. So then we will have ready product. So when we were able to ship it to, to Asia to actually supply from here. So mm -hmm. we were able to redeploy where we have our, you know, network of supply and our footprint to actually, you know, pivot. So yeah. that, that's something that I think most companies have already. So mm -hmm. I don't think we're unique in that, in that space. I think the, the shift really is going to be, for the most part, I think companies have addressed risk and they have addressed uh, external contributor factors to risk, right? So then you can have a hurricane. So is a climate, you know, weather related impact. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, a social related impact, which also kind of attacks into a health crisis impact, right? Because it's not the first time, let's not forget, we had the bird flu at one point, yeah. we had SARS so, at one man. point. So we yeah. had had issues where we have to have pandemic uh, response plans or emergency response plans. And I think in an, a chemical industry, even more so because you can have, you know, hazardous chemicals, you know, releases. So you do have to have emergency response. So we're not strange to responding to events mm -hmm. and how do we then recover from those? I think, you know, in, in the chemical space is quite often that you have to deal with those from a safety. Of course, you have to do a lot of layer of proactive steps to ensure that you're not going to have issues. So we prepare really for the worst mm -hmm. uh, in, in most of the cases. But now it's more getting really the CEOs of the companies to recognize that the investment in supply chain is not something that is going to be, you know, a, a luxury tangible. Yeah. Oh, a luxury and intangible. It's yeah. something that's a necessity, really. Mm -hmm. It's something that it's going to pave the way for the companies to actually be um, revenue positive. It's going to pave the way for companies to actually be having a competitive edge. The companies who are not going to be willing to actually invest in platforms where they can actually have faster increased visibility, where they can actually make faster decisions, right? So that they can get the, the right warnings to actually, you know, trigger actions, not after the fact, but before the fact. Those are the companies that are going to stay profitable. Those are the companies who are actually going to stay in business for a long time. The companies that then don't choose to do this are the companies who are going to be facing tough challenges uh, in terms of, you know, divesting, you know, units that perhaps, you know, are not making the profit margin or potentially, you know, redeploying workforce, which I think also is, is something that irrespectively of the investment that we have to do in analytical tools and predictability tools and insight tools and how do we then predict i think we also need to look at how we manage our resources our teams our you know our how do we recruit even it's, it's going to be completely different from mm. this before and after you know with the pandemic definitely i was speaking to a management consultant the other day and um he was explaining that a lot of companies will automate a task or a process to you know make things more efficient but 
unfortunately, they wouldn't then retask the person's time effectively to actually utilize um, the efficiency they created and add value back in on top of that. So it's definitely something that is being talked about a lot. And I feel that the, the greater adoption of technology will be key moving forwards. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, on blockchain technologies as well, because they've been discussed for quite some time to have everyone networked into the same kind of blockchain technology where you have that visibility. Do you think it's, it's feasible to get you know, a kind of a global network put together within tech so that everyone can see end to end what's happening within their supply chain? I think it is, and I think it's a must, to be honest, because mm. when you network your, you, you actually leverage, sorry, your blockchain network, right? So especially from transport, right? So mm. a perfectly good example, and we see that today, right? So when you actually have visibility to all your moves, right? So mm -hmm. ocean moves, so over the road moves. And then, because, I mean, when you partner with your shipping line or from your freight forwarder, from your haulier, right? So those are information that quite honestly, it's, it's public data, but to have actually the visibility in a way that you know when there's going to be an issue, right? So you know when there's going to be a delay, then you can actually manage how do you redeploy, again, your supply network. Mm -hmm. So I do think that we are seeing this today, but more of that is needed. Mm -hmm. More of that to the point that we can actually have, I think the problem is we do get visibility, but we get it to the point that it's too tight to actually then make better decisions. So the trade-off decisions that you make, the cost potentially, you know, could be better managed, right? Mm -hmm. So I think as we leverage big data, uh, blockchain data from our Turner, you know, external suppliers, from our customers even, mm -hmm. right? So when do they actually go and eat product, really kind of time their demand, their reordering points a little bit better with our production schedule, with our, you know, scheduling in general. That is where I think, you know, the magic will happen, really, uh -huh. um, or the benefit actually will happen. Um, and I think, you know, with industries, peers, I think it's going to open a little bit the borders um, on how do we then share more information, right? So that we're not talking necessarily anything that it will be, you know, protective information from formulations and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not referring to that, but I'm talking about the logistic data or part of, you know, the transport data. It's something that quite honestly, freight forwarders, they do manage cargo, warehouses already manage cargo from mm -hmm. more than it's known for you to store product where your competitors also can store product. Mm -hmm. It's known already that you may contract manufacture tolling side where your competitor also may use to also produce. So if you think about it from a logistics point of view, mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's an incestuous business, but it's, it's an area where it's impossible unless you really buy the acquire the warehouse, the, the company, yeah. the transport company. I mean, they work with everybody. So mm -hmm. I think there's no, from my humble point of view, we have to create the, the proper firewalls. You have to create the proper data protection yeah. um, to make sure that your data is, is everybody is, anybody these days could be hacked. Uh, but you want to make sure that you protect, you know, the information. So you blind necessarily certain details of the data, but you have enough visibility to actually mm -hmm. share trend and then understand where the opportunities could be from a cost management, from a speed management, right? So from yeah. how do you then better serve your customer management, right, point of view, and how do you also mitigate the risk? So going back to your point, I do see more. I, I think, you know, it was an area that maybe, eh, it was a nice to have. I think people made some investment to kind of test it out and have it in the toolkit and say, okay, I have, <laughs> you know, big data and blockchain, you know, to brag about. I think now people are recognizing the value maybe that yeah. it was 
on it was hidden that it needed to be you know activated differently mm-hmm. and how do we then capitalize on it if that if that kind of makes sense yeah no definitely and you kind of touched on last time as well with the, the shared inventory, how to partner with your supplier in strategic sublocations to kind of get around the logistic issues yeah. that you may have um, during a, a global event like this. Absolutely, and that's where the mapping between you and your customers and their third-party you know, warehouses, we, we've been in this journey now for several years, and quite honestly, I'm a firm believer. So, especially when you're talking about, not only from a pandemic, but also weather-related, right? So. It's important to understand where events could happen, right? Geographically, right? So here we're prone to hurricanes. Um, depending if you're, you know, in the Midwest, you may be prone to tornadoes, right? So, or if you're in Asia, you may be prone to tsunamis, right? So depending on where you are in time. So I think it's important to recognize that, you know, there's going to be times of the year, which actually now the data on the weather is, is more reliable, right? Because they're based on inter- uh, artificial intelligence. They also have, you know, invested into better models. So understanding those trends that are going to happen granted that we have now issues with you know the global warming and you know the weather it's also a little bit volatile so partnering up where you actually can share the costs and the benefits with you know your partner because it's also business for them right so they're going to have a strategic stock that is going to be there for your customer right so and also there's an incentive to the customer knowing that they're going to have a product where they're going to have more just-in-time supply for them to get better into forecasting, right? So their skin in the game, the more that you kind of map the skin in the game for everybody, the more that you actually forge those partnerships that there's a common goal, there's a common value. Yeah. And then you spread really the investment. It's an investment, but it's an investment with a, a guaranteed return. So mm-hmm. I do think that we're gonna see a little bit more than that. And we're gonna see also partner all the way from, you know, the supplier, so upstream all the way to downstream, right? Because then if the supplier also has a contingency with you, right? So we, ha- we have to kind of interdepend our contingency plan. Oh, on each other. So it's completely link up from beginning to end, from supplier to us who may be the converters of those raw materials Thank you. into and the customer who then you. ultimately buying the finished goods, right? Mm-hmm. And then the customer, because we're a business to business, ultimately because they're going to be reaching the end consumer uh-huh. so i think the more that we actually kind of map all the value and all the importance aspects that if we have a disruption you know how much is going to cost us and we kind of look at from that integrated partnership all the way so everybody's locking you know hands uh-huh. or you know steps it's going to be a different conversation where i think now people are more receptive to yeah to be honest i think in the past things happen for a reason, right? So in the past, maybe people were a little bit more skeptical, they were a little bit more concerned. And now you can have so many frameworks with, you know, non, non-discretional, you know, NDAs. You can actually protect the data. And like I said, the big platforms with, you know, blockchain and, and, and also with big data and how do you integrate information? I think we have gotten much better to actually protect information in a way that, you know, yes, you can be susceptible to being hacked. <laughs> you can be susceptible mm. to actually, you know, have some unfortunate, you know, um, hiccups into the information distribution. But overall, I think that there's more opportunities for people to come together to collaborate and actually trying to make those platforms and that sharing of information more robust. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more of that uh, because as we work more remotely, it becomes more important to actually make our platforms more reliable 
to actually make sure that the cybersecurity and the protection is there for protecting the data that we're actually sharing when we're actually meeting with people, which is the new norm. Now we're going to be meeting with, you know, people that we're talking, I'm talking agencies, right, regulatory agencies, where you're going to be having those conversations, you know, via a Zoom call or from, you know, the, the comfort of your house, which we, we would have never really had those conversations, you know, this in this format. Mm -hmm. um, and then the same is going to happen with, you know, when we're developing new chemistries with our suppliers up front, right? So you're inviting them into a personal space and vice versa. So I think it becomes more increasingly important, and we're probably going to see that, how the rules are going to be changing when we engage with people. These are the disclaimers, you know, these are what the rules that you abide to. Um, you know, this information that we're actually going to be sharing is going to be used for this purpose and not for the purpose of investment. So I think going back to partnering up, a strategic stocks, having them in situ to actually supply our customers, to shorten the supply chain. Mm -hmm. It's that conversation that I think people are going to be more receptive to not only have, but also to be willing to contribute from a, a cash investment point of view, but also to make sure that we have the right tools that everybody can access to make sure that we have the same level of visibility from beginning to end. I, 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 I'm already seeing it and I am a firm believer that that will continue. Yeah, no, definitely. And it also touches on, you know, you mentioned how you engage and interact with your suppliers, which is evolving at the moment because everything has to be remote. And how do you think that will impact moving forwards your relationship with suppliers? Do you think, I mean, you tell me, did you travel a lot before COVID or were you? Yeah. <laughs> At this time, I would have been already on a conference. So I, I think that there's pros and cons. So to be honest, I think that we have had more openness with people to actually, you know, show you even more of a casual side of themselves, yeah. right? So I cannot tell you how many living rooms I've seen now from my suppliers, <laughs> their kids, you know, in the background, <laughs> houses. I mean, you have to embrace, you know, the sounds of people's, you know, life, real life. Mm. So it does really provide the opportunity, a, a closer in-depth inside look on, you know, actually meeting a person completely like as yeah. a from person to person so i think it kind of deepen the engagement personally I, I believe that you know in a in a in a conference in a business meeting setting right so you you actually put your game face on yeah. so you, you allow people to see what you want them to see where in this particular scenario you know we're inviting everybody into our homes yeah. so it does change the dynamic and i think people are more authentic as a result of that so yeah, i actually find that very refreshing um so, I do. I, I spoke to um, a supply chain director the other day, uh, just sort of mapping some content together. And she told me that her three-year-old daughter had decided to run into the kitchen naked on one of her conference calls. It happens. It's live. <laughs> I can tell you that I have a meeting, and this is a true story. We had it with one of the suppliers, and I think he didn't realize how he had the camera. So the wife passed in pajamas <laughs> way back. <laughs> And at, and at the beginning, you know, we were like, we didn't say anything, but she kind of kept passing. <laughs> and at some point, somebody said, um, is that your wife? <laughs> it's it like, like they're oh. proper pajamas. <laughs> I know. And it was like, oh, blimey. <laughs> so it does happen. And I think, you know, often, you know, you get like people calling you, you know, over the phone, you know, you have like a video call that you have to pause. So I, I do think that that's refreshing, right? So that we yeah. kind of, because the other, the other benefit or the other, you know, interesting aspect of this is that we're going through it together. 
Mm-hmm. So I think people used to, I used to hate like how are you doing kind of a question and then people used to say oh, I'm doing fine so that, mm-hmm. that to me I, actually I find it irritating because I thought it was more like an empty question like people really yeah. didn't want to know how you were doing formality and now I find myself in conversations with not only with suppliers but even with my team that when you actually ask that question how are you doing today people are more open and willing and i even find myself you know being more willing to actually share information and, yeah you know maybe today i'm not feeling that great or you know i'm concerned about because i saw this on the news and i'm concerned about what that means either to my family or you know to mm. the reopening so i think people are more willing to share genuine emotion about and as a result of that i think our relationships quite honestly I experienced that with our suppliers have deepened because people show more concern like I cannot tell you from our suppliers in China, when the situation started here, how many people offer to send us masks, you know, to FedEx them to, you know, however, however means possible, because in sharing information yeah. and tips, because they already been through it. Don't do this. Don't do that. <laughs> do this. Do that. So, and we got loads, loads of, you know, tips and information from you know, our colleagues in Japan, our colleagues in, you know, Korea, our colleagues, you know, in, in China, in Thailand. So it was an overwhelming amount of support. Yeah. And same when in Europe, right? So that, you know, was critical. We were kind of watching and providing information and vice versa. So I do think that the strengthening the community in the spirit yeah. of community, business, you know, co-workers, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the company has being probably the highlight, the most positive thing I, I believe that has come from from this event. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent a silver lining, isn't it? It's um, opened up the community, like you say, and we've seen a lot of that here at Supply Chain Digital as well. You know, very fortunate to be in that digital supply chain media space and the the uptick in conversations and people are doing their own podcasts and webinars and sharing best practice. And it is it is great to have that kind of community sharing best practice feel of things so yeah fully agree with that and you know from your leadership perspective do you have any tips for any any sort of supply chain leaders procurement leaders or even just executives out there you know how to lead that transformation in times of disruption no it's it's a great question caroline i think (laughs) the first thing is that we have to stop and think Mm-hmm. I think we, we have to look at, you know, what has happened really and recognize that there's a shift, right? Mm-hmm. And, and also we have to look at our teams and say, okay, in this situation, you really have to be their supporting line. Mm-hmm. You have to be there for not only, you know, motivate them and, and make sure that they feel that their concerns are, are really addressed, but you have to really, because we're going through it together, yeah. literally, right? So you have to really appeal to that you know authentic human to human kind of a connection and really do a lot of listening i can tell you that at the beginning with the pandemic i used to have a daily call with my organization Mm -hmm. which we still do but now a lot less we have it weekly rather than daily so and it was just to make sure checking in on people checking in that everybody was okay that you know even you know hearing them vent right so to just make Mm -hmm. sure that people had an outlet really to voice you know even more random thoughts, fears, you know, things that they were actually occupying their, their heads because you really mm-hmm. want people to feel comfortable to kind of download that. And by the way, because we were going at the beginning with so much uncertainty, I think everybody felt the need to kind of voice out. Yeah. So that, that was just creating that space and that platform for people to feel, you know, safe to share. Mm-hmm. I think what we're looking at, you know, and to your point earlier, I've seen 
tremendous amount of you know colleagues you know people in in or out of the industry really willing to actually reach out and mm -hmm. you know i've done this you know what can we do to actually you know share best practices this is what i'm doing with my organization have you done this with your organization so i cannot tell you how many conversations i have had with people you know from consumer goods from pharmaceutical from chemicals right peer companies even competitors to be honest mm -hmm. to just you know navigate what we're doing because it was a trial and error right so just make sure that we kept our organizations because even though everybody has access to a laptop they have you know video they have tools to actually do their work we cannot underestimate the the effect it has when you are by your lonesome in your own you know situation where you may be dealing with taking care of a you know elderly parent or you know children and an elderly parent right so or even you know in-laws right so now the environment where you actually have to come and concentrate and, and actually work and you know perform tasks and actually you know look beyond even the day-to-day -day activities are colored with other you know elements that when you are in an office space you don't necessarily have all the distractions right mm -hmm. and all of these competing priorities so it was interesting because you cannot you know look at an individual only in one dimension you have to look at them with all of the different you know dimensions that they have it's like a hand right so all of the, the, the different fingers right they have a function but they're all part of the hand and without yeah. them they cannot function right so it's the same thing with when we look at individuals so it was adapting quickly in, in leading with empathy i would say empathy has been if anything the key behavior and competitive you know competency that i think we all have to really make sure that we develop and continue to develop because when you really truly listen in a person that may be going through a difficult situation because a, a parent or a child or somebody you know is actually getting sick and they don't know whether they have covid or it's allergies right yeah so you, that, that individual is not going to be in the frame of mind to actually wanted to address a strategic plan or you know to do a forecast accuracy or you know to kind of mm. plan it. they're not they're not even going to think about it their crisis is immediate there has to be something that you have to address with them so having those conversations with people on a daily basis on a weekly basis to really listen a lot of listening has to be you know done and also when we're working back to our you know our c-suites right so talking and relaying okay this is why it's important that we keep our people either working from home or we have you know a, a more robust pandemic you know plan to enable organizations to empower organizations to decentralize organizations so that organizations can do what they need to do in the whatever flexible time that they can do it. Mm -hmm. So I think he has two types of you know conversations, right? So at the peer, well, three types. So at the peer level with the teams, and also you know up in, you know in this layer to actually kind of give them a, a little bit of a reality check sometimes. So to make sure that the senior leaders in companies are understanding that the way that we used to manage or lead. I shouldn't say manage you manage processes you manage tasks you don't manage people right so how we lead organizations has to be a function on how do we adapt to what is happening in our external environment mm -hmm. and also to factor what is happening in their lives now because what is happening in their lives it becomes part of what is happening you know on how we're going to be effective to to drive you know the work the organization forward so if anything i think that this has become more people centric mm. because at the end of the day, the mission is going to happen. The work is going to happen. The business is going to happen. Right? So as long as we make the right investment, but if we don't make it people centric, if we don't focus all about the people first and the well-being, 
you're never gonna get anything done. So I think if anything, the biggest, you know, change in mm. adapting, right? How do we lead people? It's even becoming more people-centric. That, that probably has been one of my biggest takeaways from, from the pandemic. Um, and, and also making sure that the organizations are having a clear path forward. So for example, mm. all of what we talked about you know, making the collaborations with the partners, right? Carving that time to actually, in the middle of it, to kind of create, you know, the next kind of, a, you know, milestones of mm -hmm. how do we then continue to, in the, not only the recovery, but, you know, the next phase on how do we then continue to be ahead, right? And sharing that with the teams to actually get them ex excited that, you know, now we're moving into a more agile world where, you know, insights and how do we share even insights that we hear, you know, within our own teams, Mm. are becoming even more relevant, right? So communication, speed of that communication. And actually, they live in the, you know, remote world where you actually have everybody a click away facilitates that, I think, even more. It's interesting, you know. Mm. Being remote has brought us closer than before, if we kind of think about it. So <laughs> up, right? <laughs> but I think yeah. remote access has given us more closeness um, as, you know, organizations because you have people, you know, in your living room at any point in time. So I do think, I maybe digress a little bit, but uh, I do think that in reality, this has provided probably more opportunities for leadership to actually then refine how do they really connect with people, they connect with their teams and they connect in a way more authentically, I think, and, yeah. and more, you know, empathetically to really, it's always about them. It's never about you. So it's always about them and actually make them more about them, if, if that yeah. kind of makes sense. Absolutely. And I could not agree more. It is such a nice note to end the, the discussion on as well, because it's it's um, you're right. It has brought us close together and you wouldn't have thought it, but it's made people humanize um, their partnerships a lot more. And that's fantastic to see. And I, I really hope that we can incorporate some of that as we go back as well to the new normal, as everyone's saying. Um, but honestly, everything we've gone over, Jocelyn, is brilliant. Um, and send me your hair care products. Yes, I will. <laughs> we'll stay in touch. <laughs> Absolutely. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And, and you. <laughs> Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Okay, talk to you bye soon. Bye-bye.